Hello, my name is Paul Rogney, and I'm the host of the Drumming News Network. In recent years, handcrafted symbols seem to be a growing market. Rob Cook of Rebeats, author and creator of the Chicago Drum Show, believes that handcrafted symbols are the next frontier, much like the interest in custom drum manufacturing that took place in the early 1990s. May 20th and 21st of this year at the Chicago Drum Show, you will be able to meet and experience presentations on symbol making from each of these symbol craftsmen and on the 21st, a panel of all the craftsmen together. The series of interviews that I am doing are literally a discovery as it happens. I purposely did not do any, well, I hardly did any research on each of these symbol smiths ahead of time. I've custom built drums and my own drum hardware, but the idea of symbol crafting is something that seems part voodoo, craftsmanship, and passion. Three things that I have no interest in when it comes to actually creating a symbol. In each of these interviews, we get to see each of their own personalities. And like a true artist, even with similar approaches, their outcomes are completely different. In this episode, I speak with Nicky Moon of Nicky Moon Custom Symbols. In addition to learning more about him and his symbols, we talk about many of the symbols he is making and talk a bit about how he is crafting his own symbol alloy. This is going to be a very exciting interview, so let's get on with it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Nick, thank you very much for uh, joining me on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you much, uh, very much for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, so we're talking in promotion of the uh, Chicago Drum Show event that's coming up. We're going to be a panelist on on the symbol uh, panel. Um, yes, indeed. <laughs> I realized I doubled that up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to be really exciting. And I have to say, this whole new world of handcrafted, handcrafted symbols is just is blowing my mind. And it's so exciting to see what you guys have been doing. Um, it's such an open community, um, mm-hmm. and uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that. But first, um, do you can you just tell me tell us a little bit about the panel before we kind of delve into you? The panel itself, like you mean like yeah. the other symbolsmiths, or yeah, or kind of like what what will people expect at the Chicago Drum Show when they see you guys? Um, to be honest with you, I'm not 100 percent sure. I think okay. everyone, uh, I mean, um, the gentleman who arranged this this whole thing kind of gave us free reign to do, you know. Mm-hmm. whatever we wanted for our presentation so i think some people will will be entertaining questions more um i am going to prepare a lecture on a particular topic okay that, that's that's kind of how i am i like to be prepared for stuff um but i think it's just going to be a, a extremely informative you know symbol nerd deep dive for anybody that's <laughs> fantastic that's like really a symbol fetishist is, is going to want to not miss this for sure so what will your topic be uh focusing on I'm going to uh, discuss symbol alloys in particular because wow. right now I'm in the process of developing my own new symbol alloy. So wow, that I've, is going to be exciting. Yeah, so Maybe, I've learned a lot okay. about metallurgy and and all this other stuff in the past several years. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be talking a lot about that. I'll definitely be there. Now, will that be on Saturday or will that be on the Sunday event? Because I know on Saturday you guys present individually, and I think on Sunday you have the big panel itself. Okay, I don't know the sky i know i just know okay. that it's the 20th and 21st I, I forget which day my my time slot is in but i'll be there for both days i have a booth for the show anyway so i'll be there all right yeah. so maybe after the event we could follow up i'd like to hear more about that but i get you know i don't want to go down that road because that's that's going to be for the yeah, show people you sure. got to go to see this panel you got to yeah. meet the symbol craftsman this is going yep. to be fantastic this is going to be legit yeah so uh let's quickly talk about you i want to find out about you like so what what when did you start drumming? What got you into drumming? That, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm 41 going on 42 this August. Um, I started playing drums when I was six, oh, six okay. years old. Um, my parents were big music fans. They were always playing music in the house. My dad in particular is a big rock and roll guy. He had all kinds of old Zeppelin, Hendrix, and you know the Who records blasting in the house when I was a kid. So, I mean, how can you not, you know, it was just irresistible. It's like, what is that? awesome rhythmic percussive sound and um i just became enamored with it you know i started taking lessons when i was really young and did the whole high school uh concert band jazz band competitive thing i was fortunate enough to be in a music program that was extremely competitive so i was able to get a scholarship to go to berkeley uh, when i was in high school jazz band so i went there and then i you know went on into the world of trying to be a working musician and uh, eventually found my way into symbol crafting. Yeah. Well, that's a quite, that's a huge jump. <laughs> so, it's a big, it's a big jump, but here, let me try to bridge that gap. a little bit. So I grew up in Boston, very close to Zildjian. 
right? Oh, okay. Where the original you know, current Zildjian uh, is is located. And I always wanted to work there. And I, I tried to get a job there many times because I was always really fascinated with symbols, but they just never, they never got back to me. So eventually I had to figure it out on my own. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Um, yeah. Just out of interest, when we, out of interest, when you were at Berkeley, uh, did you work with any known drummers that we'd know about? Uh, Rod teachers? Morgenstein was Whoa. one of my teachers. Yeah. What was that like? Uh, he was awesome, man. Like just super awesome. Nice guy. Really great dude. And just, mm -hmm. a, you know, phenomenal rock and roll drummer. Yeah, it was great. So what kind of music do you think you um, like to perform the most yourself? Rock. I'm a rock, rock okay. guy. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm a rock guy through and through. I mean, I I listen to everything. If you looked at my, like, you know, Spotify or whatever, you'd be like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> it's just all over the map. But, uh, but yeah, rock and hard rock and metal and stuff. It's really kind of my thing. Yeah. That's brilliant. Um, So what... What kind of drums do you use, actually? I just out of interest. I have a set of uh, handmade um, drums from one of my friends named Alan Posnod, who made the his, his company's called Woodland Percussion. Okay. Um, and uh, he made me a custom set a couple of years ago. It's just a small four-piece birch kit. That's Real cool. Nice. Yeah. I've always played four-piece kits. I've never been into the big, like, you know, 80s rack thing with toms over your head and stuff. Like, yeah, I'm real, real basic. Hi-hats, crash, crash, ride, tom, tom, snare, and kick drum that's it if you saw my drum sets you'd just you'd freak out because um i, I grew up in the 80s <laughs> oh yeah, yeah i mean look nothing against my... it man it's just i don't know what to do i get anxiety when i sit behind kits like that i'm like ah i gotta hit everything you know i need to limit my options yeah, yeah. it's metal <laughs> no, it's really not. It's, yeah, totally. how can you be metal when you got four piece set i mean come on i know really? i know it doesn't make sense <laughs> um, so early on who were some of your influences that oh, kind of inspired um so as a child, I was born in 81. Mm -hmm. So um, I really started getting into music, you know, probably in like the late, late, late 80s, early 90s. So really, I'm a you know child of the 90s, if you think about it, which yeah. was like, in my opinion, the best music decade. There was that whole alternative boom with Nirvana, you know, so Dave Grohl and Soundgarden and, and Alice in Chains, Sean Kinney was a big influence. Um, Vinnie Paul, Pantera, the whole 90s metal scene. Uh, Igor Cavalera, Sepultura. Um. And, and my drum teacher when I was a kid was a big Buddy Rich guy. He was playing with the remaining members of the Buddy Rich big band. So he was like real into really? Buddy Rich. So I listened to a lot of Buddy. Um, yeah. I mean, those are pretty much the ones that stand out, you know. So who are you listening to now that they kind of you're interested in listening to that maybe maybe is an inspiration? As a drummer or just his music? A drummer, specifically a drummer. A drummer. My good friend, Mike Dawson, is probably my favorite current oh, drummer. Okay. Yeah, he's just a super interesting uh, human being, but just the way he approaches the craft of drumming is fascinating to me. He tries to attack it from every angle. You know, okay. like he doesn't want to leave any stones unturned. Mm -hmm. And I really, really respect that. So I love listening to him play. That's fantastic. Kind of unpacking that whole thing, yeah. The, I'll whatever. give you another one too. This is kind of yeah. a lesser known dude, but this guy named Joe Tomino, he played with this group called dub trio. They're from Brooklyn. They're like a three piece punk slash dub reggae group. Hmm. And one of the most interesting bands I've ever heard in my life, but he's, he's like playing with one hand. And on the other hand, he's like fiddling with digital effects and putting like delays on his symbols and stuff like that. Just a real out there phenomenal dude. So yeah, it's another guy that I find really fascinating these days. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. When I was a kid listening to music, I got inspired by the sounds that I heard on the radio and, and the bands I liked. Yeah. And that drew me to a specific brand of cymbals. Yes. Uh, what were you listening to that really kind of piqued your interest um, for cymbals? Was it the music or was it going to the store or was jazz people? Or what, what was it that really piqued your interest in wanting to define a cymbal sound? That's a great question. I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, <laughs> something about the way symbols look, to be perfectly honest with you, it always mm -hmm. captivated me. I always thought they were just beautiful. There's something really mysterious and kind of magical about them. You know, they're, they're gold. And it was always like very secretive, like how they were made. Like back in the day, now it's way more out there. But like mm -hmm. when we were kids, like you had no idea how these things came to be. Um, I remember the first time I got like really nice symbols that I wanted was just some Sabian AAX symbols. And I just remember looking at them and just being like, just captivated, you know, just blew me away. 
like I was so curious how does this thing get made that that's really what drew me to it to be honest with you yeah I have to say one of the symbol the first symbol that I looked at when we were talking about uh, Sabian was a different type of symbol they're the first company I think I can remember introducing a a more natural earthy tone uh, symbol with their leopard series have you did you ever see that yeah I remember that absolutely uh, yeah, and I thought that was really that always drew my attention. Yeah, so, that was pretty gnarly. Yeah, um, but you know, it's such an easy thing to say. Okay, I kind of got into symbol making, but it's such an intricate. Uh, I mean, I work with engineering and metals and that kind of stuff, but symbols is is part voodoo and part craftsman and part a whole bunch of things. Yeah, how did you develop the ability to craft a symbol from an interest? like wanting to work at Zildjian and say, okay, well, I'm going to do it myself. It's not like building a drum, you know, I mean, it's like completely different. Yeah. How did you do that? Um, the, the beginning stages was all trial and error. Cause there was just no, there was no book. There was no manual, you know, there was nothing to go by. So um, it was just taking existing symbols and just, and just experimenting with them, you know, hitting them with hammers and grinding them and scraping them and drilling them with holes and just doing whatever you could to, to alter it in whatever way, you know, you could. Um, that was really how it all started, you okay. know, and then through the, the wonders of the internet, um, I mean, I started experimenting in like 2011 okay. and, um, I think it wasn't until like 2016 that I got wise to like YouTube and, um, all that stuff. And then I found the website of this guy named Craig Lordson, who's one of the original independent symbol Smiths. Um, and he's in Australia. And I found his website and it was the first place that had any kind of information about symbol making, like how to make the tools and how to do it or whatever. And I was blown away, like just, wow, that piqued my interest so hard. And then from there, I just was like all in, you know, that's fantastic. So I, so would, would he mentor you at all or, or not? I, I've no, I've, but uh, we are friends now, you know, we've talked, we FaceTime and stuff. Um, but I eventually got in touch with, uh, Heather Stein, who was a symbolsmith out in California. She was a student of Matt Bettis, who's another one of the original independent guys. Um, she invited me to go out there for a couple of days. So she taught me a little bit about lathing and hand hammering. And then I came back and was working on my own again. So I got the attention of this guy, Francisco Domene in Brazil mm-hmm. online. And he invited me to go to Brazil and where I, I went. And he was like building his own factory at the time. And he taught me a lot, you know, and that was kind of what really like, that was the gas to the fire wow so i mean after that i went back there a second time and then i went over to turkey to 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 istanbul and to samson turkey i visited a couple of different factories there so i've been all around gotten the whole full world tour that's amazing so what's the difference between a brazilian symbol versus a turkish symbol nothing so is it nothing i uh is is turkish is turkey supplying uh the the raw symbol to like Brazil or does he make him? No. So, so Mustafa Daril, who's in Samson, Turkey flew to Brazil to teach Francisco how to make, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of, that kind of B20. So he's, he's doing very much the same process. It's just in a Mm -hmm. different country, but it's the same, same deal. Are you doing that? Are you making your own materials? I'm starting to. Yeah. Wow. That is such a whole different world. It's a huge, um, huge learning curve. It's going to take me years to, to get it right, you mm-hmm. know. But I'm starting now and and have done some experiments and, it's yeah. <laughs> well, the only the only symbol alloy I can think of that was specifically created for sound in recent years is the Peisty alloy, right? And they went for they, it took them years to do it, you know. And what are you trying to achieve with the tone you're trying to go after, or at this point, is it more of a discovery? of learning about that good question um i'm a big believer in individualism and like trying to find your own like sort of unique path so the way that i'm doing the process is different than the way zildjian or the turkish factories or Pisces or anybody has done it before it's it's a whole different thing okay so i i don't know exactly what's going to happen but that's mm-hmm. really what's exciting about it you know Oh, definitely. That's the sense of discovery. And, and again, finding something more unique is really cool. Um, I studied duplex metals for a while. And that was primarily for um, ability to manufacture materials for, um, you know, engineering, acid, resi- you know, resistance. Yeah, and, very cool. Uh, those kinds of things. Um, have you looked into that kind of thing yet and looked how different elements and more of, of one 
ingredient into a connection, make a modification. Oh yeah. I've spent a couple hours every night after the day on Google scholar or on, you know, different university websites or whatever, just looking through any information I could find about metal, anything, you know, and, and just trying to deduce like, okay, let me just take whatever information I can and sort of, you know, take what I need and throw away the rest. So, um, yeah, I've, I've studied anything that has to do with metal. I suppose we better stop there when it comes to diving in, because that's kind of what you're going to be talking about. And I don't want to ruin what people are going to yeah, see no, at the show. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, there's, there's, plenty to, there's plenty to talk about. Yeah, that's fine. No, because there, there's such a difference between bronzes and also how they, they work together. And there sure I, is. I notice how, um, you know, like depending on the, the brand you get, you can get the exact same symbol and it sounds completely different. And it's kind of the right. balancing of elements. Um, have you just out of interest? Have you gotten to the point of learning how do companies balance their elements so they're consistent versus kind of like a yeah? I mean, unique. there's there's that's a I could I could go that I could answer that it would take an hour, but I'll try <laughs> to cut it down to two minutes. Um, there's very different manufacturing processes. Like symbol alloys, say it's the same exact contents of materials, right? Same amount of copper, same amount of tin. Doesn't mean that like person A and person B are going to prepare it the same way. And every little difference in their step, mm-hmm. how they make that metal, has a huge impact on the, re- the resulting, you know, tonality and performance of, of the the metal. So, like a company like Paiste, the way that they get their bronze, they don't melt their own metal. They get theirs from like an industrial supplier who melts it in larger quantities than companies like Zildjian or whatever else. That lends itself to consistency. Um, there's, you know, the purity of the raw material lends itself to consistency. There's just like a bazillion factors, but yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, how, how often do you maintenance your equipment in your, in your shop? You know, okay. how do you clean the rolling mill or is it dirty? Like stuff, every little tiny thing has a, has an impact, you know? So like, um, let's say in one of your lines, cause you have several lines. I'm kind of blown away by what you, what you offer, um, for being a hand craftsman. Um, consistently do you have a consistent sound with every symbol that's a model and a size yes i mean as close as i can get it you know it's interesting like one thing and and i'm not saying anything bad about zildjian because this is what a lot of people loved about zildjian is that sometimes they get an amazing sounding you know symbol and they'd they'd hope they'd never ever lose it but it could be the exact same model and it wouldn't have that same kind of sound right Right. Um, i don't think they're that way anymore but they were that's kind of what made the 70s and 80s and that's what made those so special um do you see a benefit to that at all? Well, that's a great like, point. So, so the whole the whole deal with the way that they produce symbols, mm-hmm. their their goal is to be the most consistent. So they're trying to they're trying to target their manufacturing process to to achieve consistency, mm-hmm. but it actually has the opposite effect because okay. they're not thinking about the bronze itself. They're just thinking, okay, we have to make our manufacturing steps consistent. But every blank that you start with, every ingot has its own personality. So if you don't treat it as an individual and then try to control the outcome, then you're not going to get the same outcome. If you treat it all, like it's if you had three kids and you raised them all the same, Mm -hmm. it's like expecting them all to turn out the same. As opposed to if you had three different personalities, you want them all to turn out to be good kids. Well, you have to treat them each differently. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Dude, that's amazing. Yeah. I never even thought of it that way. So- uh, so there can be a lot of variance in, in ingots. Now, comparing yeah. that to a drum sound, where I think more people have a familiar, familiarity with that, is like, you know, you got to hit the tone of the drum to get the actual note out of it, to, to out of the shell to get an idea to to find that. How do you test an ingot to find out where its properties are going to be so you can mold it into the sound you want? You have to continually play it throughout the process. Okay. Which is not, that doesn't lend itself well to mass manufacturing because like, mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to stop up at every step and analyze each individual thing. They're making 2000 symbols a day or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's the, the real advantage of somebody like me doing an individual craftsman experience is because the sound is in here. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not the settings on my equipment. It's, it's up here. I know how to get there. Okay. You know, that's, that's really where, where the difference lies. It's amazing. So can somebody just come to you and say, you know, I like what you're offering, but I actually want to have my own sound. I want to create something that's unique to me. Can they do that? 
Yeah, that's what I do probably 90% of the time. Oh, okay. People will say, hey, I love, you know, the symbol you made for so-and-so. It's really cool, but, but I want something that crashes a little bit more. Or I want the bell to pop a little bit more. Can we do that? Yeah, of course. That's why it's Nikki Moon custom symbols, not Nikki Moon symbols. <laughs> that's point. the whole deal. Because <laughs> when I was a younger drummer, I wanted this service. I wanted to be able to to go ask for the, the these things, and it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to make it available. That's that's what I'm doing. Just yeah. out of interest, uh, the first time I ever heard about people crafting a symbol type instrument, I'll call it, is, is it were gongs. There's a big movement in people crafting their own gongs. Do you think you'd ever be getting in, into that? I've had people ask me. I made one gong for uh, my buddy JD, but um, I just, it's not really my jam. You know, mm-hmm. I just I don't. I was never really interested in them. Okay, I never got super into the weird stuff like the gongs or the super freaky symbols i just like regular like symbols okay kind of my my thing so i just try to stay in my lane who knows i mean i might get there someday well yeah but um you look at it now i'm doing a little speculation here but my assumption is when i've looked at some of these symbols they look a little bit thinner are you ever crafting or planning to craft a symbol that would actually have longevity to it if you got a hard hitter if the drummer's a hard hitter, yeah, I'm going to take into consideration whoever the player is. Mm-hmm. When somebody comes to me to, to, to place an order, I'm going to ask them a series of questions like, what kind of sticks do you play? How big are you? You know, uh, how much do you weigh? What kind of music do you play? You know, what's your style? All that stuff is going to give me, you know, intel as, as to how do I make the symbol to make sure it's going to withstand what this person's doing with it. If somebody asks me for something that doesn't really make sense because they think they want something, but I know better, I'm going to tell them that. You know, okay. that, hey, you're making a bad decision. You should, you should, you should take my suggestion. And then, it, you know, it's on them, whatever they want to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic, though. Uh, but I just... mean, what that's what you're paying me for, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. this is my life's work. Like, if you wanted just a run of the mill thing, just go to the guitar center and get it. But like, if you're coming to a guy like me, like you're, you're paying me for my experience and for my knowledge. So I'm going to give it to you, you know? What kind of consistency do you see in the customer who is wanting to buy a symbol from you? I mean, most of them are awesome. Like, I have really great clients. I'm really grateful for it. You know, every now and then you get somebody who's a little bit out there and super demanding and has kind of unrealistic expectations. But, but for the most part, people are really wonderful. You know, oh, that's good. They're, they're they're very appreciative of the amount of work that goes into it, and and um, they're just appreciative of the fact that they can actually get what they really want. You know, because that's that's kind of a new thing. Because defining the the tone of a symbol would be hard. It's really hard. Like everybody's got different words for it too. Like, like you might say dark and like, that means something different to me than it does to you. So I got to be like, okay, what do you mean by dark? Like, give me an example of dark, you know? And then they'll, they'll say, Hey, this symbol or that symbol. I go, okay, now I know what you're talking about. Cause you know, like words are just words, you know, I don't know what's, what's in somebody's head. <laughs> you know? Well, uh, for curing of symbols too, just out of, out of interest, um, there's a guy who uh, I talked with, I kind of knew, uh, he's George Lynch, uh, he's a guitarist, yeah, he's and he makes a lot, of, yeah, and he makes a lot of his parts, but he he buries the parts in, in the ground, right, so mm-hmm. to, to, to force an oxidation and pull yeah. specific elements towards the surface of the metal. Is there a benefit to something like that with symbols? Is that something that would actually... Yeah, so I, I actually okay. did that a couple of years ago. I went oh. on, I did a, a special series. When I released this new line called the Old World Symbols, um, I went out and, uh, and buried a batch of 10 symbols in my backyard and left them there for two and a half months. You know, Basically, what's going to happen is the, the acid in the soil is going to react with the metal, right? Mm-hmm. And it's going to create... Um, depending on the conditions of the symbol itself when it goes into the ground um depends on the reaction you're going to get so like if you took like a an off-the-shelf symbol and you buried it mm-hmm. nothing's going to happen because it has like a lacquer coating on it mm-hmm. that has to be you know like stripped off for that reaction to occur but so there's a lot of factors that come into it but it certainly does lend itself to something cool there's a vibe to it definitely do your symbols have a lacquer coating on them uh no no, I don't do. It. The only time I do that is if I'm if I'm doing a chemical patina, mm. then I will sometimes clear seal it depending on what the customer is looking for. Okay. Yeah. Um. So also with a with a brand that came out a f- quite a few years ago, one of the big one of the bigger brands. When you touch a symbol, you'd always get your fingers marks on them. You could never get the finger marks off. Yeah. Um. So is that something that that a lot of craft you know handcrafted symbols are like, or is there a way to, to 
Did that There's nothing you can do about that, unfortunately. I spent okay. a couple of years because I kind of have like low level OCD with like stuff visually. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like going nuts trying to make everything look like perfect, perfect. It has to be perfect, you know. Mm -hmm. And I realized like with bronze, like you, it's it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. Like as soon as the the metal is exposed to the air, it starts it starts reacting. Okay. There's nothing you can do about that, you know. And even if you coat it with with something, still there's there's the opportunity for for a reaction to take place. So um, it's something I fought for a while. I had to I had to really like figure out what not to do to make mm -hmm. it worse. But it's it's not something you can completely ever control. How does um the like a lacquering process or a wax process impact the overall sound? Have you experimented with that and seen actually heard for yourself the difference? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, you can actually use it to at, like to your advantage. If 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 you if somebody wants like a really dry super dry symbol, you can like really up the amount of coating that goes on the symbol, and that's going to restrict the vibration of it a little bit. You know, okay. Um, it does restrict the vibration if you're just using a tiny little bit to the untrained ear. You're probably not going to notice. Okay. You know, but um, but yeah, it's it does have an effect. Sort of interest. I mean, uh, and I'm not asking for a trade secret. So if you can't go there, don't tell me. But, um. What is a symbol lacquer? Because I, I think of a lacquer as like a polycrylic urethane or, you know what I mean? It's, it, it's actually, it depends on the company. Okay. You know, they, there's not like one, there's there's no anything on the market designed for symbols. There's no tools designed to make symbols. There's no lacquer designed for symbols. Like it's it's all stuff that's been adapted to make symbols. Okay. You know, it's not a big enough market for, for there to be like really specialized products really. Mm -hmm. There's a couple symbol polishes and stuff, but it's just repurposed like metal polish for the most part. Um, so there, certain companies will use uh, a water-based thing. Some companies will use a resin-based thing. It, it depends. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And in the symbol making process, I'm envisioning that you'd have a series of dyes that would give you the basic form, and then from there, you often do a lathing technique. Is that is that the case at all or not? That's the case at a company like Zildjian or Sabian, but there's no there's no basic form going on. When I get a, a blank, it's it looks like a a, a corn chip. I mean, it's completely okay. out of whack. The whole shape is formed by hand hammering. The entire yeah. shaping process. Now, is that like a series of dies you have, or is that something you just? No, use? that's that's me holding the symbol in my hands. I'm mm -hmm. holding a hammer and I'm putting it over an anvil and pounding it. Wow, down, you know, into shape. That's how that's how the shape gets there. That's there's amazing. no there's no preforming or anything like that. Your symbols yeah. are beautiful. I'm sorry, I'm just looking at them quickly. I mean, like, oh, yeah. I, yeah, I can't. Uh, I'm just like, wow, I can't imagine hand hammering a piece of metal like that. Yeah, so, it's, a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Uh, so the lathing process, um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm envisioning, you know, you got a 20 to 20 inch or larger and smaller, but big cycling at a high rate of speed. Um, right. How, what's that like to work with? I mean, I'm assuming there's got to be if the symbol's not balanced, you're going to get um, a yeah, harmonic absolutely. vibration. And Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Chatter's a big, big thing. Um, yeah. Lathing is, is the most dangerous process in mm -hmm. making a symbol. Um, you know, some, some people have gotten seriously injured, you know, doing it. You gotta be really, really careful. You're spinning a, you know, a giant piece of metal. And when you, when you lay the symbol, the edges get extremely sharp. So it's like, right. If, you know, if you get your finger anywhere near that, like your finger's gone, man. Wow. See you later. Like you got to be really careful. One of the symbol smiths, like his lathe wasn't maintenance properly, and the faceplate came off, and the thing like flew at, you wow. know. And like it's like really dangerous. So it's definitely adrenaline. You know, you got to make sure you're keeping your gear like properly maintained and everything. Um, and then hot shavings are flying off of it, you know. And then there's there's the the metal particles, the dust too, which which as far as your lungs go, it's it's carcinogenic. So you have to you know, wear a respirator and a mask and everything else. <laughs> it's it's not a safe occupation by any stretch. Nothing about it. And you enjoy this for why? <laughs> I don't I don't know, to be honest with you. I have no idea. Because I, I guess my parents dropped me when I was little or something. I have no idea, man. Well, that's yeah. fantastic. So I mean, how do you develop a series of symbols? I, I guess I guess not going too deep, but how do you come up with the consistency of tonality? Is it through thickness? Is it through uh, a consistency in the bell. If you're not using forms, how do you do that? I know I say set us all up here, but it's it's more yeah. than that. You know, it's you know, you just got Certainly the there, symbol and there's okay. What do I want it to sound like? What it's experience really, because the first several years of making symbols, you're just figuring out what not to do 
you know, and then what happens when you do certain things. And then over time, you realize, okay, if I do this and I don't do that, I'm going to get this this result fairly predictably, right? Mm -hmm. There might be some variation, in it, but fairly predictably. Um, bell shapes all come into play. Thickness of the bell, the thickness of the bow, the taper of the symbol, the shape is the biggest factor. Mm -hmm. Like how, where does it curve and how big is the curve? You know, where does the curve end? That's the biggest factor. Okay. And then the surface finish, you know, so when you combine all those elements together and you know what happens when you combine this surface finish with that shape bell, this taper, this thickness, that's when you can say comfortably, okay, now I can predict what the outcome is going to be. Wow. And there's amazing. no way to get to that point without just grinding and doing your work, like in, and doing your reps and getting your experience and then you'll figure it out. There's no shortcut to that. You can't read that in the book. Right. Well, how many symbols do you make a month? Is it just you? Not doing as it? many as you would think. It's just me though. So the amount of busy work that goes into running a business like this, it's 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 way more time doing other stuff than like I never I feel like I never make symbols. I'm always like online, you know, doing social media. I'm always maintaining my gear. Your equipment always breaks. You know, you're you're fixing your electrical stuff, you're 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 tweaking your website, you're you're going to trade shows. So, you know, it's there's you're doing a million jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's really the, the, the trick of, of being a, a one man shop. But on top of it, aren't you also offering, um, education just so people can make their own symbols? Yeah. Yeah. So can you talk, talk have, a little bit about that? Yeah. I have two of those coming up uh, this month. I don't know. I just, um, again, it was something that I wish had been available when I wanted to learn, mm -hmm. you know, and it wasn't available. I had to go to Brazil. I had to go to Turkey. Like it was, you know. Um, so I thought, well, I can, I can do this now. Like I have a, I have a place where I can do this for people. So why not do it? So what's the experience a student will have? I, so I've taken people that had some symbol making experience in here, you know, they'd already been started. I've had people that were brand new to it. And each of those people after the second day was making something half decent, you know? Wow. And how long is the class for? I can do it anywhere from one day up to four days. So okay. I suggest people take, you know, the three to four day option because like, this is not something that you can pick up in a day. Like four days is just barely scratching the surface, you know? Um, so. So by essentially they come in and they can leave with a, a, a handcrafted symbol that they made themselves. They'll leave with, so if you do the four day camp, you're leaving with eight symbols that you made yourself. Eight. Wow. Eight. What yeah, sizes? Eight. Just on interest. Uh, I usually do like two rides, a couple, a uh, few crashes, and some hi hats. Just give them like a full, complete set, basically. Wow. And then, um, what does? Because I want for... people to. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I want no, people ahead. to be able to, to know how to make you know a ride, a crash, a hi hat, because they're they're different. You what know? does it cost for like a class, like four day class, like that? Um, uh, top of my head, I think it's like it's like around twenty three hundred or something like that. Okay. Yeah. And how many of those do 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 you do a year? Um, I just started doing it last summer. Oh, so okay. I did three last summer and I have done three this year and I have a few more coming up and hopefully we'll have more this summer. So that's so cool. But it's it's a new <laughs> thing, but it's it's something that I wanna I keep developing, you know, like as I'm working on my workshop downstairs, I'm developing it with like the symbol academy in mind. You know, like mm -hmm. how can I grow this thing? Because I want to have 10 kids in here, you know, next year instead of two at a time. That's what I, I, I got to say is so exciting about this uh, community. And uh, pr people probably hear this in some of the other interviews I've done. But when I talk to you craftsmen, you guys really are supportive of one another. And the craft of symbol making compared to uh, boutique drum manufacturing, it just seems like there's a lot more competition there, unwillingness yeah. to work together. I mean, um, we'll get to that point when the competition gets to be too rough. Okay. <laughs> this, this is so? still, I mean, it, yeah, of course, because this is still fairly new, you know. Um, I hope not, but competition always tends to drive people apart a little bit. But this is such a freak passion. Mm -hmm. It's such a Hail Mary, like, psycho thing to get into that, like, we've had <laughs> no choice but to, like, latch onto each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's really, like, that kind of thing. It's It's a really it takes over your life if you really want to do it. It's a lifestyle choice. It's like a commitment. So people that are into it understand that someone else that's really into it, like you have that bond right off the bat. Well, the way I, I'm envisioning this is that it could really impact the symbol industry. Oh, it is. It's changed. Um, it's changing. How would you, are you able to calculate at all what the handcrafted symbol is market share right now? 
I have no idea. Okay. Um, I would have to sit down and do a lot of math and I hate math, but um, <laughs> we have certainly taken a big bite mm-hmm. now collectively out of um, both the Turkish manufacturers and the North American manufacturers, which they're not happy about. Um, I can imagine. And they're, they're, they're striking back. Like oh, how they're trying. Oh, look at their marketing, man. Mm-hmm. They're doing all these, all of a sudden, everything that was secretive, they would never show you back in the day. They're like, Hey, here's Steve. He works in the hammering department, you know, like all their, their social media posts. It's just all like mm-hmm. this, like, Hey, we're down to earth too. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not fooling anybody, dude. You're so transparent, but like, sure. You know? So what do you think uh, people are just <laughs> a real, a real easy definitive way to explain it from your point of view? What do you feel that people are getting with a craftsman like you versus a larger manufacturer? You're getting time on symbol. Like it's not just one of a batch that's just getting pumped out. It's like your request is going in here, going through here and like back to you. You get, you get me, you have access to me, Mm -hmm. you know, like when do you get to call Zildjian and like talk to the guy making your symbol? No, no, of course not. You know, that's what you get. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, because I'm just thinking of like, you know, it, it seems like there's so many more players that are trying to do exploratory sounds. Do you see yeah. a shift in people's interests of what kind of sounds they're looking for? Absolutely. It's changed. Um, there was like the dark and dry thing. That was like mm-hmm. a big thing. That's starting to change now. And people are like sort of coming back. And I sort of saw this coming um back into like the the more vintage A kind of sound, a little bit brighter stuff is like kind mm-hmm. of coming back. Yeah. Um, if you know if you've been playing drums for any extended period of time, you know trends tend to swing hard. So like, remember the long bass drums? Oh yeah, I, I love those then, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they were super cool. They looked awesome. And now what's happened? Now you get the pancake bass drums. Exactly. Right? And then let's kind of swing back and let's swing mm-hmm. back and let's swing back. So like the same thing with the cymbals. They went to like people playing thirty inch rod cymbals, extra thin, you know, and like they'll go back to eighteen inch heavy rods, you know, like that stuff's always gonna kind of ebb and flow. And as a maker, I never wanted to pigeonhole myself into like, I can only do old case. Like, no, I want to make symbols, man. Like the whole thing. I want to do all of it. What, what's the most popular um, size currently of a, like a crash, a ride, and then hi-hats? Hi-hats, I would say 15. A crash. That's tough because people don't buy a lot of crashes. People buy rides that they like to use as crashes. So I would say probably 19, 20. And for rides between 20 and 22. Yeah. Is it 24 just too much? You think for me? Yeah, I think so for the right person. No, it's not too like for, for John Bonham. It wasn't like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, 26, 28, I think is preposterous. Like, I don't think anybody needs a symbol that big, but again, who am I? Like, you know, if, if you're going to make art with it, go right ahead. Right. You know? Who am I to tell you? You can't. Right. Well, I talked to some, some people who are, Using I, it's, it's odd to me how for a while, like you said, with trends, hi hats were getting so small. You had the micro hats, you had these, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, like six inch hi hats. Well, yeah, and now they got um, not I shouldn't say now. Actually, this phase has actually ended now too. I think, but people were going up to like eighteen and twenty inch yeah. hi hats. Yeah. That's kind of tapered off too. But it's like I was shocked because the biggest pair I ever heard were um, was Steve Jordan. I think he had a pair of. Uh, 17. 19 inch 17 oh, i thought it was 19. 19 maybe it was 19 okay yeah, it was like two crash symbols they put together yeah but they were slightly weren't they different because they were tapered differently to act like yeah. a hi-hat or was mm-hmm. it just two crashes it was two crashes but one of them was thinner and the other one was like a heavier crash okay. I, I believe so i think that i think that's what it was yeah and from what i heard is that people loved them that they sounded yeah. amazing but again that could be his finesse so well yeah you know you got to take into consideration who's playing them, right yeah for sure well, that's just amazing. So, can you talk a little bit about a little bit more about the community? Because what I'm excited about is, um, you know, I feel like we're at, at the forefront of a whole new world of symbol craftsmanship, and and it's going to push manufacturers like like the drumming community. Like, I'll back up a little bit. Sorry, before I go down the road. When I was a kid, I used to get Modern Drummer, and in yep. the '80s, uh, most companies were promoting how strong their drum shell was, so they get this big heavy guy to stand on the the diameter side of the shell to see if it would crush. Mm-hmm. And then it went to um, uh, DW who came out they came out with a thinner ply uh, reinforcement right. rings who kind of re 
invigorated the whole classic drum sound. Right. And that's where I first saw um, the quality of craftsmanship start to impact larger companies. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, just out of a point of interest, because uh, I've been doing a lot with this lately. I used to work at Rims Percussion, and as a first endorser with them, started working with them, and then I started doing artist relations. And one year we um, we had to do an AM, and what we were going to do is um, they they just purchased a sound booth at the time. And what they did was request two of the exact same sizes, 12 inch by 10 by 12 inch toms from each manufacturer. There's a big manufacturer. There's like 10 or 15 manufacturers. We got these drums. So we had like 30 drums or whatever. And um, one would have a rims mount and the other one would just have the mount of the manufacturer. So you could actually hear the difference between our rims. Is it real or not? Yeah. And that was back in 88, 89. This is before DW really started really having a market share. And I'm not joking, 100% of them were garbage. We had to send all of them out to get them re-edged because wow. we could not tune them in. And I was wow. shocked, except for the DW. That was the only one that sounded good. And at that time, they were using Keller shells. So it's right. like, you know, all they were doing is putting a little bit more craftsmanship into uh, right. the, the manufacturing of a drum. And so that one company, in my opinion, uh, really sparked the excitement for people to say, or the reaction of companies saying, Hey, we really got to change our game here. How long do you see, think that'll ha- be until that happens with the symbol marketing, uh, making world, like where they're going to actually have maybe more series that are handcrafted from beginning to end. Uh, I mean, it's happening. Like it, that's why Minel is Minel. Okay. So like, like Minel can, came sort of out of nowhere, like as far as like being a major symbol player, Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can, I have YouTube videos of like the whole story behind that. Like I know the guys in Turkey that started that whole revolution that started mine. Like it's a, it's a big story, but. Oh, um, can, we, can you just talk about that quickly? Yeah. So the, the Daryl family, it's there in Samson, Turkey. There's several cousins and brothers that all make symbols. They go back to the original Istanbul company. They were students of, uh, um, you know, the, the, the two masters at Istanbul who worked for Mikhail Zildjian at the original K Zildjian factory. So it's all just like funneling down from there. Mm-hmm. So these guys went to Roland Meinl and said, hey, you should make, you know, handcrafted B20 symbols. We can do it. Because they Meinl was just making like uh, CNC B8 stuff at the mm-hmm. time. And and they were like, okay, yeah, you know what? These are awesome. Let's do this. And that was the start of Byzance. And that's mm-hmm. like, the line that launched Minel into like, like huge popularity. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that brought the handcraft dry, dark, dirty handcrafted thing back into like fashion. Really? Okay. That was it. That was what did it. You know? Wow. Yeah. Do they craft your symbols now? Minel? Minel. Yeah. They have a partnership with Adnan Daril with one of them. They they have a factory uh, called Amisos, and it's in Samson, Turkey. I saw it with my own two eyes out there. Um, and so it's still Turkish guys that are like in charge out there. But you know they have a couple of the German dudes probably doing QC out there too. Okay. Yeah, it's like kind of a like a blending of the two cultures. You know, it's well, it's fascinating to find out that you know like certain lines. Uh for every manufacturer might be supplied from Turkey might just be one. Originally they were just supplied from there, but now they have like, they kind of like joined, you know, and opened up their own like sort of joint operation thing. But that was sort of like really what brought the whole thing back into Vogue. Cause they got their Minel had their, their money mm-hmm. and these Turkish guys had their skills. And like, when you put those things together, you know, marketing and skills, like of course you're going to get Benny Greb and Annie Canellis and all these hot drummers to, to start toting your stuff. And then it was just on from there. Which really blew the doors open for people like me because it was like, okay, well, if you like that level of handcraft, like how about one person? You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. So let's talk a little bit about where you're expecting to go with this. I mean, uh, what are your short-term goals and your your like five-year plan just out of interest? Um, short-term goals, I guess, are are now to to continue developing the alloy that I'm working on. You know, that's been a that was something very early on that I knew that I always wanted to to do if I ever had the ability to do so. Mm-hmm. And now like I have the property, I have the space and, and, and everything to be able to explore that, which is great. So that's where I'm focused currently. Okay. 
Um, but as far as the five-year plan, I, you know, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. I just want to keep, you know, my incremental growth and to keep working my way up. I don't, you know, I don't know that I ever want to be a giant factory operation because then I'm going to lose the very thing that, you know, makes me what I am. Mm -hmm. But there, I think there is like a sort of a middle ground maybe, you know, to still maintaining the the individual handcrafted thing but being able to bring it to a little bit of a larger audience you know i don't i don't know like i mean that that was always kind of the goal but um as time goes on sometimes i'm like really happy with just continuing on the way that i am right now which is just having like one-on-one -on -one relationships with drummers and like really being able to talk to people like if i lose that i might be bummed out you know well definitely that that's what makes it special yeah uh, talking about though expansion and growth and you wanting to create your own alloy, um, let's talk a little bit about costs. I mean, right now it's really interesting how the cost of materials and precious metal taxes and import taxes are really impacting manufacturers. Uh, as I understand, it, it's more aluminum than than um, you know maybe brass and bronze. But what is the impact no. seen? It isn't okay. No, it's it's monstrous. Um, we're all suffering terribly right now. Okay, uh, tin is the problem in particular. Oh, really? Okay, what tin was... is is a you know it bronze is copper and tin so um it's exorbitant if you look at the london metal exchange and you look at the how the prices have gone up since covid it's mm -hmm. shocking i mean it's more than doubled you know um and pe people are not willing to pay more than double for a symbol you know that they did a few years ago so like we have to eat some of that which sucks you know well, I don't. I look at these big manufacturers, and right now, what's kind of going on, and and looking at the fluctuations of costs, it's been really interesting to see that at least to this point, most larger manufacturers have, have kept that price, uh, where where it was even a year or two years ago. Yeah. But like with aluminum costs, they've gone up about seven times in the last yeah. year and a half, mm -hmm. and you know they're eating all those costs. So what's that going to be? What's that going to look like to the drumming community? In the next few years, are they going to downscale, or are they, what are they going to do to be able to moderate, you know, mitigate those costs and not price them some, themselves out of a, a customer base? Um, well, you, you well, you said a couple of interesting things. Um, what was it? What did you say right before that? I, had some... I forgot. How <laughs> I'm having my brain fart. No, I was specifically um, talking about how it, you're like, talking aluminum, about aluminum. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, specifically, um, aluminum's gone up like seven times. And then, oh, that, okay, okay. The larger companies. So, yeah. the, the way that larger companies buy metal and the way that people like me buy metal is way different. A larger company goes to like a country and is like, hey, government of this country, like we want to buy a huge amount. So, you set the price for a year. We're going to pay this much for the next year or two years. Mm -hmm. And that price doesn't change. I don't have that ability. They, they raise the price for me every month. Like, Cause I'm only buying like, you know, this much. So like, that's why they're able to stay stable mm -hmm. and I have to keep going like this. That's the problem with being a small, you know, a small thing. Well, the thing is, I know that, um, so most of the drum companies have their hardware being manufactured by one of two companies. So I'd probably say about 80% of the industry. Yeah. But their cost for import has gone just exploded. And even the raw material costs have actually raised. Yeah. And um, so I'm just trying to figure out like, since they're not, fluctuating their pricing right now you know i i just I, i'm having a difficulty understanding what that's going to look like in two years for instruments no it's it's scary because to be honest with you like there's the possibility that symbols like aren't going to be able to put, to be made from bronze anymore bronze is going to be as precious as diamonds or gold you're kidding it's me. very no, no it's very much a real thing it's very much wow. a reality um it's very scary but tin is in such short supply it's you tin is used for um, like laptop batteries, electric car batteries, like things that are way more important to the to the world as a whole than symbols, you know, like those mm -hmm. are things are going to take precedence over it, you know. Um, and the tin that's used for symbols has to be elemental tin, meaning it has to be 99.99999% pure. Mm -hmm. The copper can be recycled. So that's a little bit, you know, pretty much all of the copper in the world now is, is recycled, has okay. been recycled. There's there's very little cobbled copper being extracted, you know, from the earth. I mean, some, but um, so the tin has to be pure. That is a finite resource. Mm -hmm. It's a finite resource, and symbols are not at the top of the priority list. So, like, that is a huge problem, and it could potentially 
lead to somebody having to like just accept that we got to symbols are going to have to sound differently, you know? And there are studies out there of, of if you dig deep enough, I'm not going to tell anybody, but <laughs> um, of people that have done studies on how do we make like church bells and other things out of bell, um, things other than bell bronze and get them to resonate for as long as they do, because it is a finite resource. So do you see at this point, have you seen in the market, where they're looking for another material other than brass and bronze and copper. I mean, for... I have looked for another material other than brass and bronze and copper. It's just not feasible. Nothing sounds the same. So like aluminum, for instance, though, you know, that has kind of really good uh, vibration qualities to it. It's Why... too soft. Too soft, okay. Yeah. So compared to a brass, is it less, is, is more soft than a brass or a bronze? Or well, brass is not good for resonance. Bronze is a very specific uh, material for symbols and a very specific amount of copper and tin for it to be as resonant as it is. Okay. So it really is the mixture of copper and tin that is, that is pretty magical for making things vibrate. Yeah. So <laughs> unless we can learn to synthesize some kind of element, which I'm sure in the future will be possible. Right. Um, but until then, yeah, we're headed into dark territory. Well, sure. what, what concerns me, not concerns me, but what, what's interesting when we're going down this road and I'm not trying to totally deviate it, but this is, this is what's interesting to me is that we're in a, we're in a point now in the history of the United States, in the history of the world where everything's about to change and you bring in AI and yeah. bring in all those other elements. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a whole new game. Yeah. What's really interesting. I had a conversation with the, uh, a director of, um, uh, product development, uh, with Roland not long ago. And he was telling me that the increase of electronic drums, percussion symbols, that kind of stuff is going to be growing. And to the point where they think it's going to eclipse acoustic drums by two to three times. And he said, you know, people made that same claim about the piano and nobody believed them. But you look at the piano now, the is 10, 10 to one, the amount of electric uh, pianos that are being sold to, to uh, an acoustic. And I wonder if that's going to be the, the one trade off going forward that we're going to have to be using more symbols that are triggered. Or I don't know. do you think that'd, that'd be the case? No, but. I could be wrong. I mean, I, I, to me, like I've tried electronic percussion stuff, electronic drums, electronic cymbals. They just don't feel the same. Yeah, I totally agree. Don't. It's less about, forget how it sounds. They might trigger beautiful sounds, but they don't mm -hmm. feel right to the person playing them. Mm -hmm. You know, like a keyboard versus a piano, you can weight those keys to kind of feel sort of relatively similar, but like an electronic drum kit, an electronic plastic cymbal versus like hitting a real cymbal, like that's not even close. So I feel like there's a long way to go before that. Yeah, I see a whole new world of teaching coming all around because if we have to protect our bronze, our symbols, and yeah. we have to make them last, people are going to have to really change their techniques on one of them. Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Smash them on the edge. Yeah. Well, you know, that's <laughs> why like a lot of people, you know, like I'm doing like modifications, like taking there's so many symbols out there. Mm -hmm. You know, these big companies, Zildjian, Sabian, Plastique, They've been just cranking out thousands of symbols every week. I mean, where do they go? Mm -hmm. They're out there, man. You know, so let's repurpose them. You know, that's that's more of my business than making new symbols is taking people's existing symbols and reach, you know, changing them, really? customizing them. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's what I started doing before I developed anything on my own. You know, I feel like I have a good pulse on on things like this. You know, but yeah. you know. I had never heard of that before that you could actually repurpose and remodify really? an existing symbol. I hate to admit it, but yeah, I had, there was no clue, no idea. That's probably, I would say my biggest contribution to the, like the drum industry and the, the modern symbol making world. Like I wasn't the first one to, to come up with the idea to modify a symbol. People had done it before, but mm -hmm. I was the first one to bring it to the forefront, to put it on social media, to put it out there as like, Hey, this is like my business model. Like oh, this fantastic. is a real thing. Um, I really, that's, how I feel like I changed the industry, you know, and now a lot of people have come up behind me and have caught, you know, not mm -hmm. copied, but like, you know, done the same thing. Right. Um, but yeah, that's very much a thing, very much a thing. And it's, you know, for a lot of people, it's a more economical way to get a custom handmade thing. Um, and it's a way to recycle something that you already have. You already have money invested in too. And some people even have like an emotional investment in it. Like, Hey, this is my first symbol. You know, I don't like it anymore, but I still want to be able to play it. Can you, can you change it? Yes. You know, because like right now, I think that's a really cool idea. And I'm, I'm hesitant on that right now thinking about like, man, I just spent like 
six, 700 bucks on a symbol and it sounds like garbage. And yeah. now I have to have it modified. And it, 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 there's a potential risk. It could be destroyed. Is there a chance it could be destroyed? You know, maybe, maybe I'm overthinking it. I mean, there's always like, a, I guess a chance, but like, I mean, I've never ruined anything for anybody. You just have to know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, if you so send it to some, I guess as a consumer, do your research on who you're working with. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been doing this for, you know, 12 years, you know, uh, mm -hmm. It's the focus of my life. I know what I'm doing, but it's very easy nowadays for some person to to go watch a couple of YouTube videos and then start a business, put up a website, and then say, "Hey, I'm a symbol master." And then you know, how 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 is a, a consumer going to know the difference between me and them? Like, you got to do your research, man. You know, right? But if you send it to somebody who knows what they're doing, yeah, you're you're safe. You're safe with me. Yeah, that's just exciting. Do you ever? Um, is there a place for people to go to to see maybe some symbols that you've taken off that are <clears throat> a brand symbol? Can you modify it? Yeah, you can go on my YouTube channel. There's okay. a bunch of videos on there. You can go on my Instagram feed. There's a bunch of videos on there. And you can see modifications before and after videos and everything like that. You can see like really what's possible. I mean, I've taken power bell rides and turned them into jazz rides, man. Really? Yeah. That is yeah. cool. It's a lot well, of damn work, but it's pretty fun. <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, just the audience right now, normally I do ask, I do a lot of research, but I purposely for this line of interviews that I'm doing, I specifically do not want to do the research because I want to learn more about the craftsman. So uh, if you're wondering why I don't know all these things, that's why I just, I yeah, purposely didn't want to do that. It's, I it's more fun this way. I think I love it because it's like, yeah. yes, I'm learning so much. And if I would have known that I would have known what to ask about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. For sure. 100%. Uh, so, you know what, since we got to move on a little bit, I want to, can you talk to me a little bit about your symbol around the world project and, and yeah, Specifically, what the auctions are, what they benefit, and how people can do that. Yeah, so so that was something that I started during COVID. Um, and uh, earlier in the interview, I, I mentioned a guy named Craig Lauritsen, who was the first guy who had the website with any symbol smithing information. That guy was my hero, and this was a chance that I could I could work with him, which was fantastic. And another guy named uh, Dave Collingwood, who's in the UK, another fantastic uh, independent symbol smith. Um, who will be at the drum show and he's coming actually he's going to be coming out here to visit me um, and I, I just thought here's an opportunity to raise some money um, a friend of mine in the industry turned me on to the music cares charity you know they were they were uh, raising money for musicians that were affected by you know the shutdown that just weren't able to go out and gig and earn any money so I thought man here's a great opportunity to to do an auction so I uh, I had a blank sent to me from Turkey I started it. I sent it to my buddy in the UK, Dave. He did some work on it, and then he sent it to Craig in Australia. He finished it up, and then Craig sent it back to me, and then we auctioned it off to a guy who happened to live in, in, in New Jersey, and you know we raised cool. you know a good amount of money, you know, and and I intend to do it again. I just have not had the time, but I'm certainly going to do do more of these. You know, I just think the idea of it going from you know from Turkey to the US, to the UK, to Australia, and back to the US. It's just, it's awesome, man. Do well, it's know? a one-of-a-kind instrument completely. One yeah, of, one of I mean, kind. that, and, and let me tell you, dude, the video for that symbol, it's on my YouTube. Mm -hmm. That thing, it sounds as good as you would, you would hope a symbol that had done that journey. Dude, it was awesome. I was so happy when I got it back. I was like, man, it, I can hear me. I can hear Dave. I can hear Craig. I can hear all the influence. <laughs> I can hear the time, in, you know. It's just a phenomenal phenomenal magical uh symbol so um you know what what's gonna be really interesting too is is we really got to educate us as as uh customers um need to educate ourselves on symbol sounds and what 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 makes a good symbol sound because there's gonna be a whole new flavor of symbols coming out with what you guys are doing yeah. and how you can tell the difference between your the craftsman um and and hear their different con contributions to that instrument it's pretty right. remarkable really yeah. cool that shows that level of quality and, and uh, uh, teamship or teamship. Is that even a word? Uh, community. It is now. Okay. There we go. I'm going to pass. You just invented it, bro. Let's put that <laughs> in the Webster's now. All right. Well, I, I just got to thank you so much for taking the time today. This is so incredible. I'm looking forward to your panel, your, your presentation at the Chicago drum show. And of course your booth. Uh, so if people want to learn more about you in the, in the meantime, mm -hmm. what can they do? Where can they go? You can go to www.nikimoon.com. That's my website. You can see all my uh, current symbol series that are available. There's a web store. You can purchase symbols off of there. 
you could send me a message if you want to customize something or commission, you know, a modification. And uh, you can also find information on the Simplesmith training camps. Um, my Instagram is updated, you know, two, three times a day with, you know, pictures of whatever I'm working on, pictures of my workshop. You know, I'm very transparent about what I do. Um, so that's probably the best way to keep up with me. You can, you can contact me through there as well. well um, yeah. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This was, this was exciting. Thanks for having me, man. It was great talking with you. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Take care. All right. This has been a production of the Drumming News Network. All rights reserved. All media is owned by the respective parties. This episode cannot be distributed or copied in any form. Please visit drummingnewsnetwork.com daily to keep up on all the latest drumming news. Copyright 2023.